Some of us like surprises, uh, others of us don't. We prefer the routine of predictability. Some of us drive to work a different way every day or every week. Others of us follow the same exact time-worn path every day. Some of us uh, enthusiastically embrace an unannounced visit from a family member. Others of us silently exhale, and then we soldier on. I'm kind of a middle-of-the-road kind of guy. Uh, I enjoy good surprises. Bad surprises kind of exasperate me. But uh, in the spirit of honesty hour, this week I was pleasantly surprised when uh, the Holy Spirit directed me um, in the direction uh, that I'm prepared to share with you today. Now, this morning, we are continuing the sermon series titled, How to Get the Life We Really Want. We've said there are three foundational steps in following Jesus into the life that we really want. First, experiencing a genuine and intimate relationship with God our Father, particularly through the disciplines of prayer and Bible reading. Secondly, living in authentic community. And thirdly, compassionately and powerfully extending God's kingdom uh, through acts of love and mercy and compassion, that is, living an outward-focused life. And when we follow Jesus in these three ways, we'll experience an increased measure of love and joy and peace and rest, uh, despite the very complex and challenging circumstances in which we live. And today we're going to discover an overlooked, often overlooked role uh, that a surprising element plays in propelling us towards the life we really want. So let's pray together. Lord, we're grateful for the start of a brand new day and a brand new week. We, we give you uh, honor and thanks for you, your goodness, your grace, your mercy, in our lives. The past, Lord, is your mercy. The future is your providence. And we say we're grateful. We're humbled. Thanks for enabling us to gather together today. And uh, we pray for your kingdom to come among us in the ways that you know we need. We know that you're here because you promised that when even two of us are gathered together in your name, you're right there in the middle of us. And so we thank you, Holy Spirit, for that promise, that powerful promise of God's very presence with us today. And it's not just here, Lord, in this room, but right next door in Vineyard Kids. We thank you. And really, Lord, through these communities where your church is gathered together, where your Holy Spirit is honored, where your word is regarded as truth, we thank you. Have your way in our lives, in our church family, in our communities. A prayer in your name. Amen. Upon being surprised, have any of you ever explained something like, wow, I just never saw that coming? Or, man, in a month of Sundays, I wouldn't have expected that. Yeah, well, as I was crafting these messages on discovering the love and significance and security uh, that I believe in, in all of our heart of hearts, we, we really want, although may not have actually framed that way, uh, it, it's kind of what I muttered. This week to myself, since I'm the only person in the office, I talk to myself a lot. Um, I'm like, wow, I, I just never quite saw this coming in, in the preparation of this series, how to get the life you really want. But I believe that today Jesus is inviting us to follow him in water baptism. 
In some measure, this outward act of obedience propels us towards the life that we really want. It's not what I was expecting to hear, but uh, it's what I want to now share with you this morning. If you have your Bible or your Bible app on your phone, why don't you open with me to Mark's Gospel, the first chapter, Mark chapter 1, second Gospel, Matthew, Mark, and the New Testament. Now, we've been using a few snapshots from the opening chapters of Mark's Gospel to frame our messages so far. Uh, and it's interesting that one of the very first stories we read in Mark's gospel is that of Jesus' baptism. Mark 1, beginning in verse 9. One day Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, and John baptized him in the Jordan River. As Jesus came up out of the water, he saw the heavens splitting apart and the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, you are my dearly loved son, and you bring me great joy. Now, it's been my conviction, shared over the last three weeks, that the life we really want, whether we know it or not, whether we're in touch with it or not, comes when we more fully follow Jesus. To follow him was Jesus' first invitation to the first disciples. And that is his invitation to all of us today who would desire to be his disciple. Jesus said, uh, it's recorded several places in the Gospels, Mark 16, uh, or Matthew 16, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, pick up their cross, and follow me. And so his invitation today, for those of us who want to be his disciple, remains the same. And if we are to follow Jesus, then... We must do what he did. And in Mark 1, we've just read that he inaugurated his ministry with the act of water baptism. And so one of the first and foundational steps towards the life that we really want is following Jesus into water baptism. Now, Matthew also records this event in his gospel, the third chapter. And we read there in verse 13, Matthew 3:13. Then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. But John tried to talk him out of it. I'm the one who needs to be baptized by you, he said. So why are you coming to me? But Jesus said, it should be done, for we must carry out all that God requires. And so John agreed to baptize him. After his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. So John the baptizer, frequently called John the Baptist, he was the farthest thing from a Baptist you can ever imagine. So we will call him John the baptizer, tried to discourage Jesus from being uh, the baptized, he said, no, it, it should be the other way around. You should be baptizing me. But Jesus replied, no, this is fitting. Other translations would read, it's right. It's the appropriate thing to do. It's the way to fulfill all that God's rightness requires. Now, Jesus certainly didn't need John's baptism. Mark recorded in the first chapter, the fourth verse, that John the baptizer 
preached that people should be baptized in order to say that they'd repented for their sins and had turned to God to be forgiven. Well, Jesus certainly had no sin from which to turn and had no need of forgiveness. So it, it, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't re- relying or, or demonstrating any truthfulness in the, in, in, in terms of John's baptism. But as a model for us to follow, it was the right and fitting or appropriate thing to do. And so he submitted to John, and John submitted to Jesus, and then John baptized him. That's the inaugural act of Jesus' ministry. In Christ's final commissioning, before his ascension to God the Father, he uh, told his followers if they were to extend the kingdom, um, uh, this is the way it would work. Mark 16, verses 15 to 16. I'll read that text for you at the, at the end of Mark's gospel. And he, Jesus, told them, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Anyone who believes and is, and is baptized will be saved, but anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. So there is a very direct link between the good news, elsewhere called the gospel, and water baptism. The disciples, as we've learned, were to show and tell, to proclaim and demonstrate the good news that God's kingdom had arrived. And those that embraced this truth were to be water baptized. So to believe and to be baptized was the way into being saved. The word saved means uh, to be healed or to, to be delivered, to be made whole, to be, to be preserved, to, to be made sound, to be rescued from danger. We might say the way you get real life, the life that's real life, to be saved is to be believe and be baptized. Now, interestingly, the Holy Spirit-inspired record of the early church shows us that the disciples who heard this command actually got it. They understood. We know that because in Acts chapter 2, the, the, the record of the early church, on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit first fell as the church was being born, Peter, the Apostle Peter, concluded the first ever sermon with these words, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And then you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the story concludes in Acts 2 this way, that those who believed Peter were baptized and added to the church that day. It was about three to five years later when Philip the Evangelist was preaching in a town called Samaria and the, and the book of Acts records in, in the eighth chapter, but now the people believed Philip's message of good news concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, and as a result, many men and women were baptized. They got it. They got the clue from Mark 16, Jesus' final commissioning. To further illustrate, it was nearly ten years after the day of Pentecost when Peter visited the house of Cornelius, where in Acts 10, at the conclusion of this dramatic and powerful event, Peter said, can anyone object to these people being baptized now that they've received the Holy Spirit like we did? And so he gave orders for them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. 
And then a full 20 years after the inaugural events of Pentecost, Paul and Silas are on their second missionary journey in Philippi. They were arrested, thrown into prison, and miraculously delivered. And at that moment, one of the jailers surrendered to Jesus. And the text concludes in Acts 16.33, Then he, the jailer, and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. So we have to conclude that baptism is not a a passing trend of the infant church, but rather a deeply embedded uh, celebration of proclamation and demonstration, the show and tell. We follow Jesus by being baptized. But then you might ask, well, why is baptism so important in, in more fully getting the life that we really want? I want to suggest this morning three compelling reasons. First, is that baptism is our first step of obedience to Jesus. And we've already seen in Mark 16 that followers of Christ are commanded to be baptized as one of our first acts of obedience. We are to believe and be baptized. As Jesus did, so do his followers. He was baptized, we ought to be. Jesus started his ministry by being baptized because, as he described, it was the right or the fitting thing to do. So we shouldn't think about getting baptized, yeah, you know, kind of when I feel like it or when I finally get around to it or when it's convenient. It should be a priority of the follower of Christ because it's the right and fitting thing to do. Now, let me just say this. It's important to remember that Jesus' death on the cross, his burial, and subsequent resurrection from the dead are the only source of forgiveness from sin. His death and resurrection alone make it possible for sinful people separated from the living God, like you and me, to actually be restored. And in this sense, baptism is not necessary to be made right with God or to become his son or daughter. When we embrace the good news, the gospel of the kingdom, we surrender our lives completely to Jesus. At that moment, the rest of the Bible teaches us clearly that we become born from above. Our our spirits are made new, our sin is forgiven, and the old man or woman dies and a new one comes into being. We become children of God, and we don't need baptism for that to happen, to become a child of God, to be saved, the language of the text. Uh, to become a Christian, to receive forgiveness. All expressions convey the same truth. The, the water of baptism does not wash away our sin. The Bible's clear that, uh, that it's only the blood of Jesus does that. For instance, one text in the book of Ephesians, the first chapter, Paul writes, God is so rich in kindness that he purchased our freedom through the blood of his Son, and our sins are forgiven. So, Christ alone, his work, finished, completed work of of dying on the cross and raising from from the tomb is what is sufficient and necessary for us to become a child of God. But we believe the Bible teaches that water baptism is important because it's one of our first acts of obedience as a son or a daughter. When we turn from a life of sin, the Bible calls that repentance, and we turn to Jesus, one of the first ways that we obey Jesus is to be water baptized. Secondly, 
Second compelling reason is that baptism is a public profession of our commitment to Jesus and his family, the local church. When our four kids were younger, they lived at home, there were always piles lying around. You know, piles of clothes, sometimes clean, sometimes dirty, on their bedroom floor, piles of dirty dishes and remnants of food, uh, you know, in various parts of the house where they where they had last eaten, piles of towels and other stuff in the bathrooms, piles of unopened textbooks on the table. Those piles pointed to something. They pointed to the presence of teenagers in our home. Likewise, baptism points to something. It points to our commitment to Jesus and our changed life. Throughout the New Testament, baptism is the means that God has established for us to indicate that we're followers or disciples of Jesus. Baptism is the indication, the primary indication, in the words of Paul uh, the Apostle to the Colossians, that we have been rescued from the one who rules in the kingdom of darkness and been translated or brought into the kingdom of his dear son. Colossians 1, 13. It's like this. Water baptism says, I am changed, and I'm now a vital part of a new family. My brothers and sisters, the church. We could say it this way. Baptism points to the notion that we are all in. All in. Being immersed in the water and coming up out of the water is a very simple but very powerful picture of what has actually happened to us. It points to something. And here's how the Apostle Paul describes this picture in Romans, the sixth chapter. Have you forgotten that when we became Christians and were baptized to become one with Christ, we died with him? For we died and we were buried by Christ in baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, we also now may have new or live new lives. Romans 6, 3 to 4. So Jesus died. And when we become a follower of, of Jesus, we die to sin and selfishness, our old way of living, living on our own strength and by our own power for our own pleasure. Jesus was buried, and like Christ was buried in baptism, we are buried symbolically below the water. And then Jesus rose from the dead, and in a similar fashion, we rise up out of the water of baptism to live a brand new life. And so we now live and serve a a brand new king, and that's what the act of baptism points to. It's like, in some ways, a wedding ring. Many of us who are married wear wear a wedding ring. Um, It's a very simple and beautiful, powerful symbol. But we all know that marriage is more than a ring, right? You do know that. Uh, The ring points to something. It points to the love and commitment and the vows that a husband and a wife have made to be honest and true and faithful to one another until they die. But it's simple, it's beautiful, it's powerful. It's a symbol. And so baptism is a symbol of the love and commitment that we have for Jesus. It's a, it's a symbol of our covenant, our commitment to him. It's, it points to our commitment to Jesus and our changed life. Now, to be sure, baptism doesn't mean that we're 
that will never sin or that will never yield to temptation or stumble or that we're a perfect person. That's not what the church is. It's not what baptism points to. But it is a public profession of a now changed life that we're now committed to a brand new family. It's called the local church. Thirdly, a third compelling reason for us to be baptized is that baptism is a doorway into more fully experiencing God's kingdom. Baptism is not just the religious ritual of getting wet. I mean, in that sense, Jesus could have picked any number of symbols. But it's a powerful and profound experience. It's a doorway into a new life that is infused with the power of the Holy Spirit. And it can be a very powerful experience in its own right. Did you notice in our text in Mark 1 and Matthew 3 that when Jesus was baptized, the heavens opened. The Holy Spirit descended in a bodily form as like a dove, and God spoke. He spoke his affirmation over his son. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Now, friends, that's really, really powerful. Think about it with me this way. Those words of, of affirmation and a public expression of God the Father's deep love and deep pleasure came before Jesus did anything. God was pleased in Jesus. He was proud of his son. He was, it, he said, it brings me great joy. We often think that, that that only comes, that kind of affirmation and acceptance only comes after we prove our worth or our value because we work hard and accomplish something. But I think God was wanting us to notice that his affirmation and the, and the expression of his love comes to us long before we do anything. In this sense, God intends for all of his new followers before we ever do anything that we're to hear his voice of approval and affirmation. We do not have to work for his approval, for his sonship or daughtership. We, we are in. We are deeply loved and accepted. We bring God the Father great joy, regardless of how we behave or what we do. And there's a powerful message there. If you've surrendered your life to follow Jesus, you need to know at the very beginning of that journey that you are already his son or his daughter. You do not need to to work to earn his love or his approval. Can't you begin to see how powerful water baptism is as one of the inaugural events in our journey with Christ? To know from the get-go that we're loved and we're accepted. We don't have to work to earn his approval or that we bring joy to the Father. There's a powerful prophetic message in baptism in this way. You are new. The old is dead. The new has come. You're cleansed. You are forgiven. The power of sin in your life is broken. You are no longer under its suffocating grip. I love that. You're a child of God. You bring God, the Father, great joy. You've now stepped into a brand new family, a loving family, a healing, caring, uh, comforting, encouraging family 
called the church, your brothers and sisters. You now live under the rule of a new king. You've been translated out of the old kingdom that's ruled by the devil and his accusation, and now you're under the kingdom of light, ruled by a new king, King Jesus. And you can't do anything more to earn God's love. You can't do anything more to earn the pleasure of the Father. It's already there, period, for the rest of your life. That's God's word over us. Can't you see how this is the doorway that opens up a, a, a much richer and fuller life in the kingdom of God? If we could really earnestly, honestly believe that with every fiber of our being from the moment we're converted in Christ, how different would our life be? You know, so much of my Christian journey, it's been unpacking the lies that the enemy puts in my brain about how unloved and and unworthy I am and about how much displeasure I bring to God because of my sinful behavior or my poor choices, when when in reality, God is speaking all the times, uh, I love you, you're my son, you're my daughter, you bring me great pleasure and great joy. Now I've got a life that I, I can live under the power of God and his indwelling personal presence through the Holy Spirit, which I should expect when I'm baptized to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and now all things are possible because I'm in right relationship with God. Friends, that, that is the, the doorway that baptism takes, that opens to us. That it's a, a doorway into a brand new life that didn't exist before. And that's, that's really awesome. So at this moment, of first, obedience, second, profession, first two compelling reasons, to obey and to profess. At that moment, we should expect to be filled with the Holy Spirit, God's personal, powerful presence to all of his children everywhere. We should expect to be filled with the Holy Spirit and hear the voice of God. So, I just want to create an atmosphere of expectation at our water baptisms. I want, I actually want that stuff to happen. If it didn't happen in years, you can get rebaptized and it'll happen again. Something real happens. We should expect God's kingdom to break in when we're obedient and and professing in this manner. We should expect God's powerful presence and to come and his voice to speak. In the water of baptism, it's it's been our pattern to see people get healed for for them to to be set free for addictions to to break off habitual sins to to disappear for uh their life to be encouraged or their their uh their emotions to be strengthened people are touched in powerful ways as we welcome the filling of the holy spirit and we're just going to believe that god's going to do the same thing it's a doorway into more fully experiencing the kingdom of God. His blessings come. I'm telling you this so that when it happens, you won't be surprised. So what should I do? Let me finish by asking me a question. What should I do? Well, let me just say this. If you've never made a quality decision to fully follow Jesus, then I would encourage you today to respond to his invitation to become his son, or his daughter. This doesn't happen because you go to church, because you try to be good and live a, live a, a nice life, or you turn over a new leaf. You can Maybe you've been going to church for decades. That's great. It's commendable. But that doesn't make you a Christ follower any more than sitting in your garage makes you a car. 
Going to church doesn't make you a Christian. Rather, stop everything you're doing in your life, reevaluating, that's repentance, and then turning from sin and selfishness to follow Christ. That is what makes you a Christian at that moment. When you decide to fully follow Christ. Now, as a word of encouragement, if you're wrestling with or contemplating that decision today, don't let all that's unknown on the other side of that decision intimidate you or cause you to shrink back. Many of us who have made that decision understand. We're thinking, well, what, what, what about or what if or what's going to have to change or what about my relationships or my lifestyle or, or other things that are going to have to like be rearranged? You know what? God's that got that under control. And those of us who have made this decision would encourage you that having made it, it's the best decision we've ever made, even though, like you, we were uncertain about what lied on the other side. So don't let uncertainty about what's ahead intimidate you or stop you. Also, don't let fear or insecurity or pride prevent you from surrender. Things are going pretty well. I think I'm okay. Or I'm scared out of my gourd about what would be ahead. I just don't know if it would work for me. Fear, insecurity, and pride. Don't let those be a barrier that prevent us from surrender. Now, understand that the journey of following Jesus consists of thousands of steps over your lifetime. But at some point, it must include this conscious and deliberate step of turning from sin and selfishness and deliberately choosing to follow Jesus. At some point in the thousands of steps, that step has to happen. Jesus isn't prescriptive when. Maybe you're 355 steps into the journey, or maybe you're at the 10,000th step, but you're now prepared to take that definitive step that the Bible calls repenting and believing. Stop reevaluating life, the values by which I live and make decisions, turning from sin and selfishness and choosing to deliberately follow Jesus, saying in your heart and with your life, I surrender to you. I embrace your completed work, Jesus, in dying for my sin upon the cross and being buried in the tomb and then rising to life uh, on the third day. I believe in that completed work, bringing the kingdom, and I now uh, embrace that. And if you've made that decision recently, or if you're preparing to make that decision even right now, as we, as I share, or if you've made it and you've never told anybody that you've made it, then I want to just encourage you today, at the close of our service, when we invite people to come up for prayer, that you would just come up and tell our prayer ministry team member that you've made that decision, that you, you actually agree. To confess actually means you agree. And so you confess out loud that, that you've made that decision. Now, for those of you who are making or have made that decision, or those of you who have already considered yourself a follower of Christ but have not yet been water baptized, let me speak to to you. Um, Plan now to be water baptized in our first water baptism service on Sunday, April 21st. You're going to want to write that date down. It's going to be a great celebration. Sunday, April 21st. We want to join with you in celebrating your life in Christ. Your first step of obedience, your step of profession, uh, pointing to your new changed life. 
Now, reflecting our values in the vineyard of simplicity and stewardship and practicality, we're going to purchase a horse trough, probably, from Farm and Fleet over there in Morton, 250 gallons worth, fill it up with water, heat it to be sure, and then during the, the worship service, because it's in the spirit of celebration that we join with you, uh, the worship band will just continue to worship and play, and then we'll call you up around the tank, and your family members, your parents or siblings or aunts or uncles or maybe classmates or a roommate or uh, people that you've shared your life with uh, could can all gather around. If you're a small group, if you're a member of a small group here, can all gather around. And um, we'll give you a chance to share your story. be great if you could take a minute or two and actually introduce yourself and tell the story of your uh, coming to, to following Jesus. And then as we continue to worship, we'll baptize you. We will immerse you under the water because going under the water most closely resembles the biblical form. Did you notice the text in in Mark 1, Matthew 3, that Jesus came up out of the water? And in the book of Acts, they went down into and back up out of the water. So immersion most closely resembles the biblical form. And at that moment, when you come up out of the water, we join with you in fully expecting the Holy Spirit to fill you and surround you and touch you and empower you and launch you into this life of the Holy Spirit. Now, on Sunday, the Sunday before that, the 14th of April, I'm going to teach a little bit more on the subject of baptism answering some of the practical questions like, well, what if I was baptized as an infant? Do I need to get rebaptized? Or what if I was baptized at another church? Or what if I was sprinkled as opposed to immersed? Um, do I have to be a member of the vineyard in order to be baptized here? Or what if I can't actually remember what happened? Uh, can I do it again? Can my children be baptized? Who does the baptizing? according to the Bible, and what do you say when you actually immerse someone? And is it important, whether it's in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, or the name of Jesus? And, like, what should I wear? And where do I change clothes? I mean, those are all really important questions. And so we'll unpack that the week before. And then um, uh, then on the 21st, we'll actually kick it out. And celebrate biblical, practical, powerful fun. Now, I'm sharing with uh, you now so you can begin to prepare. Because if you're like me you're, and you're a middle-of-the-road kind of person, you don't like surprises. Some of you, it's like, if we had the tank here today, man, you're in, you know, whatever. Others of you are like, you need time to process this. So I'm sharing with you now, on, you know, towards the end of January, so that by April, we're ready to go. Okay, we fully understand that, you know, um, uh, it may take you time to, to be ready to say, yeah, I'm in. We'll actually give you some printed invitations that you could distribute to your family, your friends, your coworkers, your classmates, because you know, many of us have an earnest desire to share the faith that we've embraced. And we don't maybe feel very good at it, but this is one opportunity that many people would actually accept because uh, they recognize the place and importance of baptism. Even unchurched people in the culture represent the significance of this event. And so if you were to present them with an invitation to come and, and join with you celebrating your baptism, they may be apt to respond. 
And it's been our experience that when uh, unchurched uh, people who don't know Jesus enter an atmosphere where the Holy Spirit is honored, they feel something. They feel God's presence. They may not have language or understand what it is, but they know like, wow, something's electric here. Something's happening. God's presence is here. And it's just one of the ways that they can encounter the manifest presence of God in a safe and natural, relaxed atmosphere. So we'll print some invitations so you could distribute them. Um, Maybe it's, you know, people you're praying for, your five friends who need God's touch in their life. But in the meantime, uh, we can all lean into experiencing a genuine and authentic relationship with the living God. We can uh, continue living in genuine community. We can uh, continue living an outward-focused life as we compassionately and powerfully extend God's kingdom, and and we can prepare then to step through the door of water baptism into the life that we really want. Lord, we're grateful that you give us this invitation. Uh, Lord, it's it's with gratefulness that we say thank you for inviting us to follow you and marking the path. And I pray, God, that even today you just put power on your word to our lives. Open our understanding, Lord, to the blessing that comes in responding to your invitation to follow you, and especially to follow you through baptism. Lord, as we offer to you now our lives by the giving of our gifts to you and the lifting of our hearts and our hands in song, we Pray that you receive these tokens for what they are. Ways we want with a sincere heart to indicate to you that we are yours, that we're all in. Put your blessing, Lord, on these gifts that we offer. Enable us, Lord, who want to give but can't, the resources to do so. Those of us, Lord, that that are awkward and uncomfortable lifting our voice or our hands, empowered us by the Spirit to do that uh, in, in a step, Lord, towards you today, that, that, that these gifts and, and time that we offer are, are, are yours. And, and so we, we bless you, Lord, with that now in your name. Amen.